Welcome back to Allied, the podcast for everything you need to know about web and video accessibility. I'm your host, Elisa Lewis, and on today's episode, we're joined by Belen Aguyo Garcia to chat about accessible gaming and immersive experiences. Belen has always felt passionate about video games. She spent many hours playing with her Game Boy and Nintendo 64 when she was a child, and always knew that she wanted to do something in the gaming industry. She also felt passionate about learning languages, and soon it dawned on her that she would work as a translator for the gaming industry. Belen entered the language industry as soon as she graduated from college, and her dream came true. She started to work in a game localization company as a linguist and project manager. But that wasn't enough for this lifelong learner, so she decided to obtain an MA in audiovisual translation while working. In the meantime, she was promoted to a leadership position such as Translation Manager and Quality and Innovation Manager. That chapter of her life came to an end when she decided to quit to pursue a new and more motivating challenge, get a PhD in Multimedia Accessibility. Belen moved from Madrid to Barcelona and developed her thesis on subtitling and virtual reality that she obtained with distinctions. This experience was life-changing, and she could finally understand the importance of accessibility and found a new motivation in life. Fight to make fun accessible for everybody. Games were so important for her development as a human being, and why shouldn't games be accessible to everyone? Nowadays, she's a passionate consultant specialized in multimedia and game localization and accessibility for video games, and a seasoned trainer with wide experience teaching in several universities and organizations around the world. Apart from studying and working, Bellin loves binge-watching a good show with good company and cares about the environment and animal welfare. We're so excited to have Bellin on the podcast today to share her passion and knowledge. So with that, let's just jump right in. Thank you so much, Belen, for joining us on the podcast today. We're super excited to have you here. Um, to start off, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your love for video games. So I know that you've been a gamer and a huge fan of video games since you were a child. How did your passion for gaming lead you into the accessibility world, working as a consultant in multimedia and game localization? Hi, Elisa. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for, for inviting me. I'm super excited. And yes, well, I I always been kind of a, of a nerd when I was a, a child. I always liked video games like manga, anime and all that, you know, the, the whole nerd package. And I think my, my passion for video games started uh, with my cousins because they used to have well, they, they they bought all the consoles. I remember the first ones were, were Super Nintendo and Sega Mega Drive. Uh, so I remember spending so many hours playing with my cousins to Mario Kart, Tiny Toon Adventures games, and it was so much fun. And then my parents gave me a Game Boy Pocket. I remember it was still black and white back then. Yes, I'm a bit old. And later on, I also uh, had a Nintendo 64. So, um, yeah, I really love uh, spending hours playing video games. I then remember when PlayStation came that I love to, to watch my cousin playing uh, horror games because I was too scared to play, but I loved watching it. And uh, I remember playing the Resident Evil 1 with my cousin and it had like 
English audio, but it, it didn't even have translation into Spanish. So I don't even know how we really got what was going on, but it was pretty straightforward, right? So you just had to go out of the mansion, keep killing the zombies, and then you'll be fine. But I remember we were enjoying that game and we didn't even know what was saying in the menus and everything because it was not localized. It was not translated into Spanish. Um, but then, yeah, then the new games is starting to have subtitles in, in Spanish and that really caught my attention. Uh, so, yeah, I decided that I wanted to study languages because I loved languages when I was young. And then I also knew that I wanted to do uh, something in the games industry because I really loved that. So I decided to study translation and interpreting when, when I was very young, at 16 years old. And during the last year in college, I remember that I attended this uh, talk by Professor Carmen Mangiron about game localization. And I was like, wow, so I can do something in languages and in game that, you know, makes sense. And it's an industry and I can do something there. So I knew that I wanted to work in that, in that industry for sure. And then I was so lucky to, to meet uh, back then. I, I met my bosses to be in a conference. I talked to them. And uh, after I graduated from translation and interpreting, I could start my internship in a game localization agency in Madrid. And that's how I started my career in game localization. So th then I had different roles in, in different positions in, the, in this industry. And after that, I decided to start a PhD in, in accessibility, actually. So that's how I got into the localization industry, translation industry, but then I realized uh, that accessibility was something very important thanks to my PhD. And then, yeah, I I was lucky enough that during my PhD, I could start, start working as a consultant specialized in game and multimedia localization for the Seattle-based company NIMSI Insights, uh, where I basically do research about, um, yeah, about anything that has to do with uh, multimedia and game localization, as well as media accessibility, because they are very related, right? Um, I think in, in the States, it's very differentiated, like you are an accessibility provider and then a translation provider. But in Europe, it's very related because for us, subtitles uh, come from translation, right? In, in Europe, uh, we translate content that comes from the United States created in English into different languages. And the linguistic accessibility is very important. So for us, uh, accessibility is very related to languages as well. And actually uh, in, in translation programs in, in Europe, we also learn how to create subtitles, how to create audio description uh, in different languages. So that's how they are very interrelated for, for us. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. And that that's a really, um, you know, interesting perspective, I think, for our American listeners to realize that, um, you know, why kind of there's uh, that um, intertwined, um, you know, between accessibility and translation, it makes a lot of sense. And um, definitely something that is is kind of different from how we how we think about it in the US. Um, it's also super exciting. I'm I'm so impressed that um, you even knew that kind of this work was um, available at such a young age, and that you pursued your interests and, and really made it into a career. That's pretty awesome. Um, I'm curious, how has accessibility in gaming changed over the years? 
Um, and have you noticed any significant changes as our world becomes more globalized and reliant on digital technologies? Yes, that's a very good question. And, and I'm very excited about it because I think like a, a couple of decades ago, no one was talking um, about game accessibility or, or the conversations were like in, in a very specialized groups. And now, fortunately, I think in the last maybe five years, game accessibility, I wouldn't say it, it became mainstream, but it's getting there. You, you have a lot of information on the website and many people talking about this. So I, I don't know, for example, 20 years ago, you couldn't imagine a blind gamer or a gamer with low vision or with, with hearing loss or with reduced mobility that they would be able to play a game and enjoy it without barriers. But now it's a reality. And I think that's super exciting, really. It's amazing. Uh, of course, not for all games for now, but for some. And more and more games are, are including these accessibility features. And I think the, I, I need to, to call out a bunch of people because I really think this is thanks to the advocacy of game accessibility champions that, that are out there in the industry fighting for, for this to be a reality, such as Ian Hamilton, for example, uh, or Karen Stevens, the director of accessibility at Electronic Arts, Cherry Thompson, accessibility consultant at, at Ubisoft, Courtney Craven, the founder of Can I Play That, uh, which is a blog where they do accessibility reviews for games. So if you are a gamer with disabilities, you can go there to Can I Play That blog and read if the game is accessible before purchasing that game, because maybe you can find out that you cannot play the game. So I think that's pretty cool. And, and Courtney Craven is one of the founders. They also work as a community and marketing content captioner and copy editor at Epic Games, the creators of Fortnite. We also have Steve Saylor. Uh, he's a YouTuber. He has a channel called Blind Gamer, where he does reviews for games in uh, that are accessible for blind or low vision gamers. Or Stephen Spawn, the founder of Able Gamers, Brandon Cole, Jerome Dupier, and many, many more. But I think it's super important because I think these people created this, what is becoming an industry now, game accessibility. And thanks to that, thanks to having accessibility champions in big uh, studios, in big gaming studios, now we are seeing the, the results of years of, you know, advocating for this and raising awareness. And yeah, basically that, that's super important. And game designers are more and more aware that they need to include accessibility in, in their design from the very beginning rather than, you know, do it afterwards. So I think some, some gaming companies are leading the way in, in games accessibility. For example, Microsoft, Electronic Arts, Ubisoft, or Sony. I, I really like the, what Microsoft did. Well, apart from publishing some game accessibility guidelines that, that they have uh, by Microsoft, they created this Xbox, uh, Xbox adapted controller. Basically it's a controller that you can use and you can plug uh, like different joysticks, buttons, anything you want, you can plug into this adaptive controller. And then someone with reduced mobility or that they need a special setup to play games, they can use that and they can access games. And I think that's amazing. If you go to the website and you watch this uh, video that they have there with the kids, like they are lacking an arm or, or things like that, and they are actually playing games, it's super emotive. I think it's amazing that, that they are doing this. 
Then, for example, Sony, they have a studio called Naughty Dogs, and they published this game, I think it was last year, called The Last of Us Part Two, And it really went viral, where at least in, in the community, in the game accessibility community, but also in the mainstream media, it went viral because it included so many accessibility features that even uh, gamers who are completely blind could play this game. And it, I think that's pretty amazing because some people might think, okay, blind people, they don't want to play games because it's impossible. No, it's possible. And it's it's quite amazing that, that uh, Naughty Dog was able to create a, a game that was um, completely accessible for blind people, also for, for deaf people. And you can check the, the complete accessibility review of this game in the blind, blind Gamer YouTube channel or in Can I Play That blog to in order to know exactly what they do, but it's pretty, it's pretty awesome, all the, the, the improvement that has been done in, in the past years. But even small gestures, such as including captions in, in games that are actually readable, make a huge difference for the user experience. Because, you know, many games include uh, these super tiny little subtitles that are super long and super difficult for people to read. And I can tell by experience because I'm a caption user. I always use captions also with movies and, and TV shows because they really is my cognitive load when accessing content in English. I basically consume content in English, but I'm not a, a native speaker, as you can tell. So. Um, it's very, you know, important for me to have subtitles because otherwise I'm super tired or having to pay all the time attention. There are some words that I don't know. So captions are really important for me as well as a non-native speaker. And it's very frustrating when you're playing a game and the subtitles are super tiny and especially in games because you have to interact, right? It's not like watching a movie or a TV show that you can sit and pay attention more or less, have your divided attention. But when you're playing games, you are actually interacting. You have to do stuff. You have to watch so, so many <laughs> inputs, right? So you really want to have good subtitles. Um, and if you're a deaf gamer or a gamer with, with hearing loss, of course, that's even more crucial, right? So yeah, so this is something that uh, ha has been improving as well, the inclusion of good quality subtitles, because one thing is to include captions and then to include good quality captions in games that's been improving. And also not only the plain text, as you know, because we, we all know about accessibility, but also the character identification, right? So who's speaking? That can be identified by colors or name tags, or even visual cues, right? To indicate where the sound is coming from, because that's really important for, uh, sorry, for video games, to know where the, the sound is coming from, because maybe you are being attacked by an enemy and you want to really know where, where the enemy is, so you can, you know, interact and move around. There are some games that are including these features, visual cues, such as Fortnite, for example, but many, many more. So I think, yeah, there's a lot that, that's been done recently and a lot that's been improved. And in general, you can see more and more positions, for example, in gaming studios, such as director of accessibility or accessibility consultant or accessibility lead. And I think that's a very good sign that, you know, we are in in the at the beginning of the creation of an industry that I think will change the way that we conceive game development and how we play games. 
because at the end of the day, and we all know that, but I think it's worth repeating accessibility is for everybody, not just for people with disabilities. And I, I saw a Twitter, uh, a tweet post the other day, a tweet, sorry, the other day by, uh, I don't remember, I think it was a Steve Saylor and Naughty Dog, this, this studio that created this very accessible game revealed that 9.5 million players used an accessibility option in Uncharted 4 which is another game, but 9.5 million players. That's a lot. And I'm sure not everybody in this, um, in this figure has a disability or as we understand that's a disability. So definitely so many things that we're improving and so many things that, that, yeah, that are changing in the last few years. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I think that's a that's a really powerful statistic um, and definitely something at, that at 3Play, we really try to drive home that, like you said, accessibility is for everyone. Um, you know, we've seen it with um, captions, particularly in education, where so many students are using captioning and transcription um, you know, for education, whether it be like you mentioned as, as non-native speakers or um, you know, some people just learn differently, um, you know, prefer reading and rather than hearing and listening. Um, so it's really, really, you know, it's totally true that accessibility is for everyone and in the, you know, gaming context as well. Um, and I, I really appreciate you sharing the examples of some of the ways that these games have become accessible. Um, you know, from whether it be mobility, I, I did see, you know, kind of that, um, that console that, and control that you were talking about. And mm -hmm. it's really incredible. Um, and I think a lot of people don't think about individuals who have disabilities being able to, or being interested in, in gaming. So it, yeah, those were great examples and thank you for sharing. So you also have a ton of experience um, on immersive media, including virtual reality and 360 video. Um, this is something that's kind of been becoming more popular. And I know that you wrote your PhD dissertation on the topic. Um, how do you make these immersive experiences accessible and user-friendly for people with disabilities? And what have you uncovered from your particular research? Yes, that's a very nice question. I, I love this topic. And yeah, definitely, uh, I, I wrote my PhD on accessible subtitles for immersive content and at the Transmedia Catalonia Research Group uh, at the Autonomous University of Barcelona. And my PhD was actually developed in the framework of a European-funded project called IMAC which is short for immersive accessibility and not the Apple thing. I hope we are not infringing any copyright here, but it was called immersive accessibility. So yeah, the, the goal of this project was basically to bring accessibility to immersive content, including captions, audio description, and sign language interpretation as well. So yeah, we needed to define how this uh, access services would look like in a immersive content because there was no standards or anything like we do in other media. Uh, we needed to create a 360 degree video player with accessibility capabilities and also tools for creating those access services for 360 degree videos because you cannot use any caption uh, editor to create captions for 360 degree videos, for example. So it was a quite uh, exciting and, and, and comprehensive uh, project. And to be honest, at the beginning, we were kind of lost, like, 
we, we asked that question ourselves. How do you make these immersive experiences accessible? And we were a bit lost because there was basically nothing written or done in terms of accessibility for immersive content. Actually, a few months after we started the project, uh, the BBC released a report on, on captions for 360-degree videos as well. So there, there, there started to be some, some research around this, which was great because we could compare and also see that what we were doing or what we were designing was in line with what the BBC was also doing. So we were you know, going somewhere. So basically, uh, since this topic was super new, we decided to take a user-centered approach, right? So instead of coming up with our own solutions, okay, we should do this like this or like that. We, that didn't make sense at that time. So we wanted to hear feedback directly from end users, both viewers and professional captioners as well. So we decided to, to organize focus groups with people with different uh, hearing loss uh, levels and also blind and partially sighted. Because my I, I had a colleague, uh, my Polish colleague, Anita Fideka, she developed her PhD on how to deliver audio description in immersive environments which was also kind of challenging. And yeah, basically this first step with uh, the focus groups was very enlightening because participants uh, raised issues that we didn't even think about. So for example, for us, it was really important how to present the subtitles in a 360 degree video, right? So we were, okay, how do we put the subtitles in, in, in some a video that you are moving around, what's the best way? But then participants who were completely deaf uh, found also very important to know where the source of the sound was coming from in the 360 degree uh, sphere, because they needed to know where to look for people who were speaking in the videos or, or to look for the, the source of sound. So that's why I believe that user-centered design is so important for accessibility in general, not only for video games or, or immersive content, but accessibility in general, because it's very important to hear the feedback of, of the end users. And it's very important to do this at the very, at the very beginning of the development, because otherwise it's really difficult to you know, rework everything once you, you've done that. So we started doing that and it was very enlightening. Then the second step in the study to, to, to find out what, uh, how to, you know, implement accessibility in this new medium was to see what was out there. So we found out that the New York Times and the BBC had their own VR apps and they were already creating videos with, with captions. It was not captions for like actual captions, but sometimes they use captions to translate some of the stuff because the, the speakers were speaking in a different language other than English. So that also gave us some indicators of uh, how the user experience could look like in this type of videos. And then once we had all this information gathered, we actually uh, went into testing and we designed different ways to, to show subtitles and with different um, positions, different indicators of the source of the sound and so on and so forth. So we wanted to know which was the preferred uh, option and also which was the most immersive option. And we did some pilot uh, tests with uh, hard of hearing users and also hearing users to compare if there was a, any difference, also to have a control group. So we find, found out that uh, for the, like the, the main challenge in, in creating access services in this medium is that the control of the camera goes to the user rather than the content creator, right? So when you 
you are watching a movie, it's the director or the editor that, you know, points the, the, your attention to specific things in the, in the video. But in, in immersive media, that free, that's completely free for the user to look around and do whatever they want. So that, that entails uh, different uh, challenges for, from a caption point of view. The first challenge was where to place the subtitles. So should we put the subtitles in, in a fixed position in different places in the 360 sphere? Or should we just uh, put the subtitles in front of the, of the viewers all the time, like you, you got them uh, sticked? To your, to your vision, right? And, and the subtitles follow you if you move. So that, that was the first thing we wanted to find out what was best because in the, during the focus groups, it was interesting when we asked people, okay, how would you envision or how would you like to receive subtitles in, in 360 degree videos or immersive content? And everybody said like on the TV, right? And it was okay, but what's on like, like on the TV? But yeah, they, they made a point because the, the, in the TV, you have them at the bottom of the of the field of view or the screen, and they are all, and they are always fixed in front of you. So you don't need you don't need to look for them. So we we created subtitles uh, in different ways, and also um, we gather some different solutions on how to indicate the source of sound. So we use, for example, arrows because that was one of the of the suggestions by the users, but also a radar. So, you know, they, they could orient themselves with the radar and move around more like a video game-like um, sort of um, orientation tool. And what, what we found out is that people uh, prefer to have subtitles that are always in front of them because they then they have the freedom to move around and they don't need to you know to look for the subtitle in a specific place or to be you know uh, reading the subtitle in a specific place in the video if they want to look around you know so they wanted to have the freedom to move around so that's why they prefer this type of subtitles and then as for the directions, they preferred the arrows because it, it was really straightforward. The radar was kind of uh, distracting for some people and some people didn't know how to really use it. Maybe, of course, we could improve the user experience and the design of the radar, but still uh, the, the conclusion was that something that was really easy and straightforward was something that really worked. Um, so yeah, we, we did different tests and. And that's what we found out, for example. And then for the audio description, although I didn't lead that research, we also tested different options on how to create dynamic uh, audio description for, for 360 degree videos. So for example, we, we did dynamic audio description. So some parts of the video were audio described. So the audio description was kind of attached to a specific object in the 360 degree sphere. So if the user moved around and uh, was looking at the, that specific point, they would receive an audio cue. In this case, it was like a bell sound. So they, they would know that there's something going on there and they could click on the, on the controller and then the video would stop and the audio description would play and they could have a more immersive um, experience. So yeah, that's basically what we found out is that people with different disabilities really liked 
uh, immersive content and they were super excited because it was something like uh, mind blowing for most of them because they never never did experience uh, this in in their lives so we were really happy to to find out that they were interested and that they we could bring this experience whole experience to to them thanks to the accessibility services that we were developing during the process so yeah that's basically what what we found out Thank you. Thanks for sharing, um, you know, some of the background on, on user-centered design. I think it's so critical, particularly in the accessibility field, um, to really understand and talk to the end users um, and find out what works best for them and what, what they prefer. And it, it does sound like you, you know, learned some, some really interesting things about preferences um, kind of in this new space where, yeah, there's, there's a lot more to consider um, than just a static video. Um, so that's really cool. And, and thanks for walking us kind of, you know, through that. So I understand that you're participating as an expert witness in a legal process in which a deaf gamer, Dylan Panara, sued HTC, a large consumer electronics company for not providing captions in their virtual reality games. Um, from an accessibility standpoint, what have you learned from being a part of this case? And um, do you have any advice that you would give to developers who wanna create tech products, um, specifically video games that are accessible? Yeah, sure. Well, this is a very exciting question and specifically about this uh, legal process, because I think even if I can't really discuss the details of the case, because it's still ongoing and we cannot disclose so much, but it was really exciting for me to receive this invitation to participate in, in this process because it, it really I really realized that all the work that I did in, in the academic uh, you know, space and everything that we did in, in the research side of things really had an impact on society and, and it was actually useful. So that really struck me and I think that's the best reward that you can have as a researcher, that what you did actually has an impact on in society. And I'm really happy that, yeah, that that this, uh, this research will help uh, game developers and everybody creating immersive content to make their, their products uh, more accessible. So that was the first thing that it was really important for me. And the second thing about this legal process is that I, I kind of really admire the US society, American society for actually lobbying against big companies to include accessibility features. I think that's really common. We have the cases of, of uh, the National Association of the Deaf and also going against Netflix, for example, to, to make them include captions and they succeeded. And thanks, thanks to them, I can also have access to, to captions that, that I need to, to ease my cognitive load. So I, I really admire the US society for that. And it's, it's something that's quite different, unfortunately, in, in Europe sometimes because we don't have this litigation mindset. It's like everything is so difficult, the bureaucracy, hiring a lawyer and so on and so forth. The, the regulations are not so strong. So yeah, I think uh, the, the US is more like user-centric in that sense and they really care about the customer experience, but it's not the same here in, in Europe. However, uh, we a couple of years ago, I think it was in 2019, the, the European Union issued this directive that will come into effect in 2025. 
And this is great because it will make compulsory to include accessibility in all online products and services in order to be marketable. I think that will make a, a huge difference because it's specified that after the 28th of June of 2025, and I would like to quote specifically what it says in the directive is that after this date, country members are expected to enforce these regulations using legal mechanisms and by imposing penalties. That's something completely new because until now there were not, or the penalties were so small that companies don't care. It's like, okay, I will pay the fine. But now with this directive, the European countries will have um, mechanisms in order to actually sue companies that are not providing accessibility. And I think that's a huge step towards a more inclusive society uh, because this uh, directive will have effect on every online product and service. And uh, nowadays everything is an online product and a service basically, unless you go to a brick and mortar uh, you know, shop or anything. Uh, it's really like uh, Netflix is an online product. Video games are an online product because you don't know them. Uh, so everything is an online product. So this will have a huge impact. And it specifies the, the, this directive that the, the, the companies will need to include Subtitles for the deaf and hard of hearing, audio description, spoken subtitles, and sign language interpretation. And it, it actually says with adequate quality. So that's also a big deal because one thing is, okay, I will put captions, but they are really bad and people are, are going to still be having issues to access the information. But now we are using the word quality. I know quality is a very ambiguous and vague word, but still, you know, this can be used in, in, during legal processes as well in, in Europe. So uh, luckily we, we will be able to see more accessibility after 2025 here in Europe as well, as, as we are seeing more and more in the United States, thanks to these litigation processes. And yeah, about the second question you asked me, which advice would, would I give to developers who want to create tech products like video games about accessibility and gaming? Well, there, there's a few tips that, that they can follow. The first one, and I know we repeat that like a mantra in, in, in every accessibility forum, is that you have to consider accessibility from the beginning of your design. It makes no sense to create an amazing game and then at the very end say, oh, I should include subtitles or I should include uh, customization options for controllers so that people that can only use one hand can actually play and customize their experience. Or I should include high contrast for people with low vision or uh, you know all these kind of things that you need to really consider from the beginning so that it, it will be cheaper and it will be much more efficient if you do that instead of having to rework the entire game design. Uh, that, that's the first, the first thing that we need to know. The second thing is that, as we said, and I, I will repeat this all over and over, <laughs> I don't mind, is that accessibility is for everybody and not just for people with disabilities. You are, if you're a game designer, you are not doing an extra effort for a small group of people because everybody benefits from accessibility because accessibility is basically a better user experience, right? If you're giving people more options, more customization, you're giving a, a overall better user experience for everybody, not just for people with disabilities, which of course will, will be benefit from that. And you're doing an amazing thing by, by providing access to your games to everybody, but 
make sure that everybody will use. Remember the statistic that we said before, 9.5 million of users used accessibility features for Uncharted 4, for example. So yeah, just remember that you are not developing a game for yourself. You're developing a game for a wider audience and they would like to you know, have options as everything in life to, to customize their experience. Basically, a good user design is based on user research and empathetic design, and that can be applied to every single type of product, not only video games. Another thing that I think it's important to remember is that accessibility doesn't kill your creativity, right? You can develop a game with complete freedom, doing whatever you want, all complexities and narrative and design that is super cool, but then you can implement accessibility in your design, including captions that you can activate or deactivate with an appropriate font and customization options won't damage the design of the UX and the UX of your game, of course. That on the contrary, it will improve it. Uh, because sometimes, you know, some game designers include some fonts that might seem cooler from a design point of view, but then no one can really read them. So what's the point of including that? I think you can you can create an experience that it's amazing and still it's accessible accessible and people would actually use the the captions and the accessibility features that you're including. So yeah, and and another open debate that, that we have in the game accessibility forums is uh, about the levels of difficulty, right? So some people are still saying that all games should be super difficult in order to be good. And if you cannot play them, then it's not your thing. I completely disagree with that. I'm really, really bad, really bad at playing video games. And I still love it. And I still enjoy playing games. And I want to be able to play a game without frustration. I need the easy or whatever we want to call it mode, because otherwise I just I would just give up. I have better things to do as well. I'm very busy and I don't want to be frustrated. I just want to have the option. And I think that won't make the games worse, only better and more accessible, right? Another thing that I would recommend is that if you have no idea how to implement accessibility in your design, because it's normal, this is something relatively new, hire a consultant, hire gamers with disabilities and ask for their feedback, test your games for accessibility. I mean, they, they, there's so many people that are playing games that they are gamers with disabilities and can give you so many good input to, to improve your design. Basically, you have to get educated and apply user-centered design, as we said before. And finally, my, my last advice would be to for people interested in this topic to join interest groups, such as the Game Accessibility Interest Group within the International Game Developers Association, for example. It's a group that it's pretty active and they have a Discord channel and they are sharing information all the time. And it's really great. You can also follow YouTube channels or blogs that talk about game accessibility, follow people on LinkedIn or, or Twitter. There are many game accessibility champions out there, such as the ones that I mentioned before, and it's a great, great way to be educated. And basically participate in events. If you're a developer, also you can give keys to game accessibility reviewers for free so that they can play your games and, and check if, if the game is accessible or not. Basically, get involved in the conversation. That would be my, my advice. Thank you so much. As an expert in the field, what are you hoping to see in the future for accessible gaming? 
Well, I mean, I think one of the most amazing things, as I, as I said before, about video games compared to all, other media is that they are very immersive and very interactive, right? So you can interact. It's not a passive product. You can actually be the character in the game. And that makes players create this kind of lasting emotional bond with the games. You can even feel represented in the game uh, or you can escape your reality by pretending that you're somebody else for, for a minute, right? Which, which sometimes we really need. I think that's amazing. But at the same time, this interaction is what makes games accessibility somewhat complex. Of course, it's not impossible because we've seen that games are can be completely accessible, but it's somewhat complex. So I think in the future, what I would like to see is more multi and cross-disciplinarity when dealing with game accessibility, because we need the input from many different sources. Of course, game engineers, UX and UI designers, writers, end users and testers, also multimedia accessibility experts and so on. We need a multidisciplinary group in order to create the best experience. We need to work together in order to create the best product that people deserve. I think the key is to keep collaborating and keep educating people. And of course, what I'm hoping to see is that game accessibility options would be a rule rather than an exception, right? In the future, I hope to see more and more inclusive games in general because I think everybody can benefit from playing games. Everybody can enjoy. I think it's very therapeutical sometimes even. And yeah, I, I mean, what I can hope is that in the future, everybody can play games, no matter their background, no matter their capabilities, no matter the language they speak. Uh, so yeah, I think game accessibility needs to be a standard rather than just uh, something nice to have. Absolutely. And before we begin to wrap up, I'm curious what projects or developments are on your horizon? Well, basically, I, I will be keep working in multimedia and game localization uh, space. And I will be, in the following months, I will be focusing my efforts more and more in game accessibility as well, because I want to make my little contribution in this fascinating industry. I cannot talk about the specific projects at the moment, but I will be doing stuff around that. So stay tuned. Perfect. And that kind of segues nicely into the next question. Um, how can our listeners connect with you um, online? Well, I'm, I'm quite active on Twitter with my account, Belen underscore translate, and also on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm, I'm quite uh, active on, on both channels where you can find me by, by, by name, Belena Ullo Garcia. So yeah, I'm posting all the time. So feel free to connect, uh, send me a connection on LinkedIn, uh, follow me on Twitter. And I'm super happy to, to have conversations about anybody who is interested in these topics. Wonderful. And before we um, end for today, what is one final piece of advice that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I would just uh, say that uh, they get educated on game accessibility, that they talk to gamers with disabilities because they would be incredibly inspired by them. They would be incredibly inspired by this, the stories and how people are you know, evolving into, into the gaming industry and making games more and more accessible. And, you know, something that for you might be impossible, it actually is possible for many people because they, they are really amazing. So 
just go online and search stories and just get inspired on, on, on this topic of game accessibility because it's quite amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much, Belen. It was a pleasure to have you on Allied. Thank you for sharing your passion and your knowledge on accessible gaming. Um, I, there's a lot of great things and it's, it's exciting hearing how excited you are about this topic. So thank you for taking time to kind of share that um, with us and with everyone listening to Allied. Thank you so much, Elisa. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. I hope to be connected in the future as well. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Allied. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave us a rating and review. To catch all the latest on accessibility, visit www.3playmedia.com backslash allied podcast. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.